Lord, we just come before you. We ask that you lead and guide as we look at the book of Revelation and see what is to come and that you are close to returning, Lord. And we just thank you for, for, for that. And we look forward to the day of your returning. And you, we ask that you will guide and lead us as we look at this, look at the word in your son's name. Amen. Revelation chapter 10. It's only 11 verses, so I think we'll read the whole book, the whole chapter, and then we'll come back and look at look it over. Chapter 10, verse 1. And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book open, and he set his right foot upon the sea, and his left foot upon the earth and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. And the seven thunders had, uh, and when the seven, seven thunders had uttered their voice, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven, and swore by him that lives forever and ever, who created the heaven and earth, that, that therein are, and the earth and the things that, are, that therein are, and the sea and the things that are therein, that there should be no time no long, be time no longer. And in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished, and he hath declared to his servants the prophet, prophets. And the voice which I heard from heaven spoke unto me again, saying, Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel which stands upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went to the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take and eat it, and it shall make your belly bitter, but, you, but shall in your mouth be, be in your mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up, and it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And as soon as, it, as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. All right. So we've, uh, had a, we're having this little space between the sixth trumpet and the seventh trumpet where all of this stuff is happening. So we want to look at this. And it says, that Again I saw a mighty angel come down from heaven. So again, John's here. He's seeing all these visions. And we've talked about how these things must have looked to him to see, you know, at least 21st century item, areas because God hasn't returned yet. And, you know, possibly a little further. But he sees this angel clothed in cloud. And cloud represents God's judgment. When we see the clouds in the Old Testament, they, they were led by a cloud. They, the cloud came upon Mount Sinai and, the, and thunders and lightnings and, and the people were afraid and told Moses, you go talk to God. We don't want to go anywhere near him. Uh, the cloud came down upon the tabernacle when it was first, first dedicated. It represents God's judgment and his presence. And then it had said that the angel had a rainbow that was upon his head. And we all know what the rainbow is. The rainbow is that symbol that God put in the sky after the Noadic flood that said that I will not flood the whole world again. Okay, so the rainbow represents God's mercy to people that he's not going to, to destroy by flood. Now we're going to see that he's just going to destroy the whole world at the end. So the, the rainbows around this angel's 
head and it represents his, God's mercy. And his face is like the sun and his feet as pillars of fire. And that idea of pillars of fire is God's leading. And again, we go back to uh, Exodus where God's leading his people through the wilderness by pillar of fire by night, pillar of, of uh by the cloud during the daytime. So we're seeing his judgment, and fire represents judgment as well, but it's also showing God's leading. Okay, so this is an angel that's showing all the aspects of God being in charge. And it says he had in his hand a little book, and we don't know exactly what that book is, and it doesn't really tell us, other than it's going to be, we're going to see later on, sweet in the mouth and, and bitter in the stomach. So we'll look at some verses when we get there that might help us understand what this book is. And I believe it is the word of God. Uh, as we're gonna, and we'll explain why later. And he puts his foot on the sea and on the earth. So he's covering everything. Okay, He's got one foot on the sea, one foot on the earth. And it's obvious, of course, he's not sinking into the sea. So he's not, you know, not, needing the, not needing the support of either one. He's just there. But that really shows that he is covering all of the world. Okay, so this angel is showing that he is in charge, you know, basically being in charge of everything. He covers everything. And he, and he cries with a loud voice as when a lion roars. I don't know if you all have ever been around any place where a lion roars, but if you look it up, a lion's roar can be heard from, from somewhere between 4 to 10 miles away. They have a roar that is significant. San Diego Zoo. Mm-hmm. If you go to a zoo that has lions out into any kind of open area, you'll hear those lions over the entire zoo, no problem. And you can hear them <laughs> all around the zoo. Lions have a very loud, sustained roar that can be heard for a long ways. So he's basically saying, this, this is a loud, this voice is loud. And we're going to see the, that when it roar, when he calls out, as he cried, seven thunders uttered their voices, okay? Probably these various angels, and they give out a uttering. So this is quite a, you know, I don't know if you've ever tried to listen to several loud voices all at once. You can't do it. <laughs> uh, you can pick up one or two, and there's going to be a very large, you know, amount of noise here. And... John says that when the seven voices had uttered their voices, he was about to write down what they said. And he was told, no. Seal up what they said. And kind of makes us wonder what was said. Yeah. Uh, very, probably something very specific that we didn't know, you know, would be so specific that everybody would know exactly when this happened. It might have been scary or whatever. I don't know. But he said, seal it. And there's all kinds of, I mean, if you really want to do some crazy research, go find out what people speculate these voices are, but I'm not even going to spend time on it because if it doesn't say it, it's not worth <laughs> trying to speculate at what these voices were. But he heard something that really drew him and said, what is this? Why am I, you know, what are we, what are we hearing? And he was told to seal it up. Daniel had the same situation where he was t showed something and God said, seal it. Okay, so there's things that he's revealed, but he doesn't want out there for information. And what was said? Who knows? 
And verse 5, And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the wall lifted up his hand to heaven and swore by him that lives forever and ever who created heaven and the things that are therein and the earth and the things that therein are and the sea and the things that therein that there should be time no longer. So this angel standing there and he makes a, a declaration called a swearing and the name that he invokes is the creator of the universe and he's listing on here that you know created all, all the heaven, the earth, and the sea. Okay, And this is very important because from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, it all talks about God being the creator of everything. And there are a lot of Christian and churches out there that try to say that, you know, well, God started things but never really created it. He directed things. No, he created it. And the word create means to create from nothing. Okay, man creates all the time, but we start with something. Okay, we start with blocks of wood or trees or or blocks of stone, and we make something out of them. We we go to the stone and we crush out the minerals out of it and extract the iron out of the out of the rocks, and we form that iron into. You know, the, or the ore into, you melt it down and purify it and then mix it with all kinds of stuff and make steel and, and all of that. You know, we create all the time, but we have to start with something. God created from nothing. He just spoke it into, into existence. And so this is very important that this angel is saying, I'm calling on God. My oath on this is here it is, and it's, I'm calling on God as my witness. And this is what used to be very serious when people would make an oath to God or uh, in the courts, I, I, I promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth while your hand was on the Bible, which was indicating that you're going to, you're calling on God to say, God, you are my ultimate judge on whether I'm telling the truth or not. Now they don't use the Bible, and they don't, you know, they don't even do any of that stuff. Do they use it's, the Bible anymore? No. Oh. All they do is have you raise your hand, and and they don't even use the word swear. They go, I affirm that what I am telling you is, is about to say is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Which they're lying even then, because your lawyers will tell you that you answer their question and don't tell them the whole truth. You, you're to keep your mouth shut and answer just the question asked. And you'll get in trouble from your lawyer if you say more than what you... Uh, and so, but this is this angel calling upon God. You're my witness. And what he says is time, no, that there should be time no longer. And this is not really the best translation on this. It really, it is a literal translation because the word is chronos oieti, which is time no longer. But it is timed very generally. So it's saying, basically, it should have been transferred that God will not delay any longer. Yeah, because that does sound kind of weird. Yeah, because time doesn't end at this point. This says delay. Yeah, and the newer Bible say delay on that because that is a better, even though the word is chronos, which means time, time it's, it's not literally time necessarily. It can be a space of time or a, or a segment of time. And basically he's saying, the time is done. <laughs> it is now time for judgment. Grace is grace is over, and we're going to be going. We're going to look at some of this, and and see as we go through here what he's talking about. And 
It says, In the days of the voice of the seven angels, when shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be fini finished as he declared to his servants the prophets. Now, I'm not sure if you understand, because we've talked various times about the mystery of God. And you may or may not remember what we're going to say about the mystery of God. So we're going to go find out what is the mystery of God. So we're going to turn back to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Back about five books. Way, you're way too far. You're only going back about five books from where you were at. No, you're still too far. Which more? Let me see your Bible for a second. Let me help you find this. Titus. All right, Timoth 1 Timothy 3.16. But without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, sent of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. All right, so this is a great definition of the mystery of God. So the mystery of God is, number one, God was made manifest in the flesh. Okay, he was Jesus. Jesus came in as God in the flesh. Fancy, fancy term in, in theology is it was the hyperstatic union. God and man becoming one. And he's not, he, Jesus was not 50% God and 50% man. He was a very bad mathematics. He was 100% man, 100% God. <laughs> How that happened, only God can make that happen. Because when you mix the two together, you should have 50-50. And he goes, no, he was fully God, fully man. 100% man, 100% God. And how that happened is a miracle. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Nobody knows. Nobody will know how it happened because it is what he said. So he was God manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit. And this is what we've talked about. He justifies us. He says, as far as he's concerned, we are perfect. And that's what justification means, is to be, declare something. And what God has justified us is, even though we're sinners, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he says, you are perfect. We know we're not perfect. We know that we will never be perfect until we reach heaven. But God declares the moment we accept Jesus that he has destroyed our flesh and we are perfect because we put on the righteousness of Christ. And that's the only way he can declare us as perfect is because we put on, the, we, well, we don't put on, he puts on the righteousness of Christ on us. And he's destroyed the flesh and he's in the process of crucifying our flesh. And we've got a long process for us to become who he said we were. Okay, but from the moment you say to God, I'm a sinner, I deserve punishment, come into my life, God in heaven says, perfect. <laughs> my son or daughter is perfect. No, 
While we're on the earth, God sees us as perfect. But we're not. we're not. Even though we're not, he sees us as perfect because he sees us as what we will be because he knows he will finish the work. It's very much like the court of law. If you go in for a bankruptcy and you turn in, here's my list of creditors. The judge does what they do. They check it out and people can say why you may not need to be, you know, why you don't qualify or why they shouldn't be on your list. But at the end of that time, when the judge says completed, he, all he has erased all those debts. You still owe the money, and in, in, in every practical reason, you owe the money, but the government says you don't owe the money. These creditors can no longer come after you for the money that you really, in reality, still owe them, but the government says no. This is the same thing when God says you are justified. I still, I still have a great debt to owe him because of my sin, but he says, it's wiped out. It's gone. I, you, are, you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. You are perfect. But what is so sad is to, I think he thinks we're perfect, but then we keep on going really skinny, and it's like we're supposed to be perfect, but it's like not impossible for us. It's impossible for us to be perfect. Yeah. On this earth. Now, we, can, we are going to get closer and closer yeah. if we're living with God correctly. And we've talked about this. There are three parts of salvation. Part one, when we, when we ask him into heart, he justifies us. He says, you are perfect. Okay. Now, we know we're not perfect, and we know that we won't be perfect. The next part of salvation is sanctification. And this is where God begins to make us who he said we are. Okay. And the longer we walk with God, the more perfect we should become. Now, we probably will never ever get there uh, you know uh, we've got like, people like Enoch and Elijah who apparently got as close as you could to God and then God took them home without dying uh, so they you know it's apparently that we can get close most of us don't uh, but we get closer today you should be more perfect than you were when you first got saved or a year ago or two years ago or three years ago, we should be getting more perfect. And things that should be worked out of our life that says, okay, I'm not struggling in this area anymore. I used to struggle. Now I don't struggle. It is, you know, pretty well, you know, wiped out. I, I am one because I've never drank. I don't really worry about falling into alcohol because it's just not something I want to do. Okay. So I could say, as far as alcohol is concerned... <laughs> I, I could almost say that I'm perfect. Could I fall? Technically, yes, I guess I could fall if I you know, went totally brain dead someday, but will I? Most likely not. I have no desire to. But I think when you're a true Christian and you have these problems, it does, it's in a way easier for you to get, to get rid of your bad habits, your bad everything, because you're focusing more on you want to walk with God, and so that's what's helping me out a lot is that it is, it's not like, oh, I don't want to, it's like, I want to get rid of all of my bad habits. I want to get rid of all of this. I want to walk the way God is. I know I never will, mm -hmm. but I can try. Exactly, because the more we focus on him, the more we change the way we think in the first place. We get into his word, and he starts saying, okay, oh, wow, I never knew that was a problem. Okay, God, help me, help me. And he changes the way we think. 
And sooner, and after a while, we, you know, we don't have a problem in an area that we used to have a problem in. And it's not because I've struggled and, and fought my way through it. It's because I have allowed God to crucify that area of my life. And now I'm walking in Christ in that area. And then he's going to come around and say, okay, here's a new area. Let's put it on the cross. And but sometimes we say, no, I don't want that on the cross. Your lifestyle changes to a lot to better. And I wish I would have focused 25 years ago or 30 years And all of that is that slowly he changes our mind. He starts, he starts fixing our mind. He starts, he starts changing it from the way the world thinks to the way the, the, that he wants us to think. And how do we get there? We get into the Bible. We get into to Bible studies. We, we start saying, God, help me to change. But the biggest thing is we get into his word, and all of a sudden we realize, oh, uh, that's not the way I'm supposed to be acting. I think the best thing is that the main thing he, he always pressures, I mean, he points in here, is you don't do worldly things, and that's the good part. Mm -hmm. Or I kind of think worldly things. And like I've, I keep telling, saying over and over, the Christian life is very hard to live, but yet it is easy to live. Yeah. If I'm trying to live the Christian life, I am going to be fighting my flesh at every step of the, of, the, of the transition. If I'm saying, God, I want you to live through me, he goes, okay, let me crucify the flesh. I'll live through you. And it's an easy, I mean, technically, as far as I'm concerned, the Christian life is the easiest life to live if I'm doing it's it right. It's so peaceful. It's so... To me, you feel more secure because you know you are going the right direction. Mm -hmm. Everything becomes easy when you let it be God coming out of you. If you're trying, if you are trying to live the Christian life, it is the hardest life in the world to live because you're fighting your flesh and and all that goes on and the world's projections on how you're supposed to live, and you can't live it within yourself. But if you let God crucify you and you live with Him living through you it becomes an easy walk and it becomes the easiest way to live and unfortunately we like to fight it a lot of times you know my flesh doesn't like to be crucified it's going to try to fight and then it says that he was seen by the angels can you imagine how the angels look at this the angels were not allowed to be redeemed as far as we understand so they look at us and say these these fallen people god how can you let them come back into your presence why are you buying them back you know, they don't understand what we go through, what, what God is doing with us. So the angels watch us with a great curiosity as, they, as we're going through. And then this next one, preached unto the Gentiles. <laughs> you know, for us, that's the greatest thing because the Jews never pressed for the Gentiles to be part of who they were. Okay, And this is the greatest part of that mystery is preached to the Gentiles. Us. Sitting in this room, most likely. I don't think there's any Jews in this room. <laughs> but because the Jews had this mentality of we're God's chosen people. Nobody can be, nobody can come to God. And basically, they re really looked at it as we Jews are going to heaven. The rest of the world's going to hell. And we just don't care that they're going there because they, they weren't born Jews. So that's what they deserve. Okay, And that's not what God ever wanted them to do. And we've talked about this as we're going through the book of Exodus and Numbers and Leviticus. God said that the Gentiles could come into the temple and offer sacrifices. By Jesus' day, and probably much sooner, but definitely by Jesus' day, Gentiles were not allowed to come and make a sacrifice. 
you know, they weren't even allowed to come into the temple area. There, there was a court around the temple that they could come into, but they couldn't cross into the temple area. And yet God said that the Gentiles were allowed to come in and make sacrifices. He wanted them to reach out to the Gentiles, and they became isolationists and said, nope, no Gentiles. We, we're God's people. We're not, we're not going to even deal. And they didn't even like to talk to Gentiles unless they absolutely had to. And basically, the only ones that had to was the government and the, and the, and the businessman who, who was trying to make transactions with people outside of, of the Israel. But other than that, the average person didn't want to talk to a Gentile. They would ignore a Gentile. They, would, you know, they, were, they were dirty. They were, they were not one of God's people, so we don't want them to be around us. But, but I thought everybody in the world he does look at us. We all are his. But the Jews did not look at that at that that way. The Jewish people, even today, Gentiles are second-class citizens of this oh, they world. They still think of it that way. They still do. I mean, because we're Gentiles, and right in one sense, rightfully so, because look how much persecution the Jews have received from those outside of them. And much of what has come against them has been done in the name of Jesus. Not just the Muslim world, but Hitler said he was doing it for Christ. Uh, the Crusades came in and really made, made a big mess of things. You know, a lot of the persecution they've received has happened at the hands of specifically the Catholics or in the name of Jesus, which we know was not done according to biblical standards. Okay, So they have a great reason to hate Gentiles because Gentiles have tried to kill them over the years. The book of Esther was how the Gentiles tried to kill off the, off the Jews. Uh, oh, the history of everything has been that Satan has tried hard to destroy the Jews. Before Jesus was born, several times they tried to destroy the, the Jews, and that was because Satan was trying to make sure that Jesus didn't get born. Okay, His battle against Jesus was to try to kill the Jews because he was going to be the son of David. And from the very beginning, in Genesis 3, 15, he was said that the, there's going to come one who's going to bruise your head, you're going to bruise his heel. And, he, you know, and over the years, it was very clear, it was God chose the, the Abraham. And so, and he said, you're, all nations will be blessed for you. So Satan now knew which, you know, try, how to get this. And he probably had a great part in keeping Sarah from getting pregnant so that God's promise wouldn't, and God said, nope, it's going to happen anyway. Okay, and then you see this all through these generations, Satan trying to destroy the Jews over and over and over again. Why? Because if he could destroy the Jews, God's promise of a Savior wouldn't happen. Jesus was born, and what happened, you had Herod trying to kill all the babies because the Messiah had been born. Satan was behind him. Satan was behind him saying, we got to get, we got to get this child killed because, you know, not, you know, he's saying he, he's here to take your throne, but Satan wanted him killed because it was the Messiah. After, after that, after Jesus has gone through his life, okay, we couldn't, we couldn't stop him and keep the Messiah from being born, but let's try to keep the Jews because now he knows the revelation is all out there. 
that God is going to take the church out, which we're going to get into, and he's going to refocus back on the Israelite people who are going to be attacked by him, trying again to destroy them because God says, I'm going to keep them. So all of this battle right now against the Jews is Satan trying to make sure that God's word does not come true. So the Jews are saying that the Messiah hasn't come yet. And they say the Messiah hasn't come yet because they're looking for a Messiah who's going to make their nation the center of everything. They're, they're looking for the Messiah that we're going to see at the end of Revelation who sets up a millennial kingdom of a thousand year reign where Jerusalem is the center. So because that is going to be the key, Satan right now is saying, I got to get rid of the Jews because... <laughs> I can't let this promise now become true. So all of this is satanically, not that he, not that the people that he's using are saying, no, even understand that they're being used by Satan and, and purposely, but he is moving the pieces around and he's the mastermind behind all the plans that, that go on. Not that they, you know, and we're not saying that they're Satanist and worshiping Satan, but Satan is manipulating them to complete his ultimate plan which is to try to destroy Israel. Okay. Uh, wasn't uh, Satan one of God's angels? Satan was originally named Lucifer. He was the morning star and he was the chief angel. Right. Until uh, pride was in his, found in his heart and he was thrown out of heaven with a third of the angels. So. That was a long time. <laughs> yep. And then it says, preached unto the angel, believed on in the world. Okay, so the whole world has been accepted to them. And this is something the Jews have a hard problem with, with Christians, is that we say that God accepts us and anybody else. And that's a hard thing for them to swallow because of their isolationists, that we are, we are the chosen people, and they are the chosen people. Frozen people. Well, <laughs> there's other groups that call, use that term. But... They, they are his people. He has called them. That does not mean that every Jew is going to go to heaven because they still have to accept God and his sacrifice and all of the stuff that's involved with that. And they have a hard time right now in Judaism because the temple no longer exists. The sacrifices are no longer occurring. So how do they answer this? They answer it the same way every other religious group answers it. Like the Buddhism. Do more good than bad and you'll be okay with God. Even though they know... Even though the Old Testament is full of without the sacrifice, there is no forgiveness of sin, they're, they're struggling. So they go to what the world says. So they've been listening to Satan too, okay? And change the way that they worship to try to match up because they don't have a temple. So Satan likes all of the other people that don't believe that is worshiping not God, but the other. All other religions yeah. are based on one simple truth. Either they deny that there's a heaven altogether, you know, this is, this is the world and there's nothing, there's no afterlife, or do more good than bad, be a, be a good person, and you'll please whatever deity there is that they're worshiping. Christianity is the one religion that says all people are going to hell unless they accept, the, accept Jesus Christ. That there's one way and we can't earn it. And if they don't believe that, then they're going to... And so, and that's the whole process. Every other religion, when you boil it down, they're, you know, they're, I'm not saying they're all the same. They're all very different. Yeah. <laughs> 
But the bottom line on there, the way that you get to heaven in every religion is do more good than bad and you'll be okay with the deity. You know, uh, and this is how you do it. And this is where reincarnation comes into, into the play. Just You get to relive your life over and over and over and over and over and over again until you do it right. Well, unfortunately, you'll never do it right, so that's a really dumb way to live. See, that's why I don't say a lot. I just say, well, I don't care what, what religion you are. As long as you believe in the one God, there is one God in this world, and you are, and you, and you are a child of God, and you believe in God, that's, that's, that's good. But if your religion don't believe in that, I'm sorry, no. Well, you want to be careful because all religions oh, yeah. believe in their God. But, I mean, no, believe in God, the only God. Not the only God is the key part of that. Yeah. The only. And well, when, when I say it, it's different. God has yeah. the words in my mouth whenever I right. say it. Right. Right. Ultimately, what we want to do is just share the gospel with people. We are all sinners that deserve hell. Jesus came to, to live a perfect life and die for our sins and resurrected from the dead so that we through a gift of his sacrifice being believed on, can enter into heaven. And the key on that is that it is truly believing that, number one, I'm a sinner, oh, yeah. truly believing that I deserve punishment because everybody knows they're a sinner. That's not hard to convince the people that they're a sinner. I don't care who they are or how religious they are. Excuse me. I'm sorry. Even if you tell a little white lie or a big lie, it all depends if you're lying. It yeah. depends on what you're doing it for. Yeah, lie Every, everybody. Lie. It's not hard to convince people they're a sinner. Yeah, even if they think, even if they think they're really generally a good person, it's not that hard to get them convinced they're a sinner. But like what I'm trying to say, maybe I say things wrong, yeah. but it's really what I believe in. Like what you say, whenever I do talk something, God, because He knows I'm, I can't say and explain yeah. the right way, but I do whenever I talk to Him, and it's really kind of that. Yeah. I mean, no, but it's good. You know, but to explain it now, I say it wrong. Kind of. Yeah, we, the, the idea is that we want to learn basically the Romans road. We are a sinner. You know, the Bible tells us, for all of sin to come short of the glory of God. The second one, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The next one, God commended his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay, four easy points, and, and as long as they truly believe those, then they become a Christian. The sad thing is, there's a lot of people who say they're Christians, and if you really try to pin them down, they're not Christians. And this is biblical, it really is biblical, because God's, Jesus said, many in that day will say, Lord, Lord, didn't I? And you look at the list that he gives them, cast out demons, you know, you know, help the poor, help, you know, visit the sick, you know, visit the, visit the, you know, the jails. Very godly, good things, and God's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. So there are going to be, I don't know what many is, millions, <laughs> billions, who are thinking they're saved because they're doing good things, and God's going to say, I never knew you. That is a scary thought. And it all boils down to that we know God because we believe. 
And this is the one thing that, that I wanted to keep stressing, just saying a prayer. And this is what a lot of people want. Say the sinner's prayer. I've heard pastors said, I want everybody in the church to say this prayer. Lord, I'm a sinner. You know, I deserve punishment. Please forgive me and come into my life. And then they want to tell people that just because you said those words, you're saved. No, you you're saved. You know, with this Romans Road thing, it's one, we're sinners and deserve hell. Romans 3.23, all have sinned. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Romans 5.8, Jesus paid for it. Romans 10.9-11, and it gets into the confess with your mouth. And, and so very simple, very simple way. And I would highly you know, tell you, memorize those verses because... That's what I'm going to do because that's why I want to. You said it so fast, I can't remember yeah. like that. Right. If you memorize those verses, you can give the gospel to anybody because... And, if you, and you'll recognize that that's what I tell everybody when I'm standing there. We are sinners. We deserve death. Jesus paid for it. I, I accept the gift. Okay? Four points. And those verses will be what you can use to but tell people me, from the, the Bible. For me to remember, I had to write down over and over. That's, that's how I remember. And that's fine. And, that, and that's fine. But if you can, remem if you can memorize those verses, you've got the gospel message. And it's real simple. For all of sin to come short of the glory of God is 3.23. 6.23 is the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Romans 5.8 is, but God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the last one is the one that I always have trouble with, but it is, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart, you shall be saved. See, that's how I want to say everything that you so. said. I'm going to learn that. So sure. that is the gospel message through the scripture, okay? And it, it, and again, we've shared this. Salvation is that simple, and yet it's very complicated as if you really want to study it, but it is so simple. You know, I am a sinner. I deserve punishment. Jesus died for me, and if I accept it, that gift, I'm saved, okay? And it, it's powerful when you give the scripture because... God says his word does not return void. Yeah, because I want to learn that so I can say the exact words from the Bible, not mm -hmm. me just or, using the word. Or you get yourself a New Testament, little New Testament, and you mark them, and you know to start at Romans 3, and you have people read it, which is a very powerful way. That's good. Read this, and then you yeah. take them to 623. Read yeah. this one. You take them to Romans 5, 8. Read this one. Then you take them to Romans you know, 10, and you just say, because if they read it and they realize they're reading the God's word, that has a power in it as well. So you just get one of those little New Testaments that they give out, uh, you know, that the Gideons give well, out. And like what you said, um, if I tell them to read it, I said, I'll tell them the thing, read it. That's what I just said, you mm -hmm. know. So I want to learn right. all of it. And very powerful because we want to be able to give the gospel out to people. Right and way. we want to do it very clearly and you know, you can even use use John three sixteen for God so loved that the I, world, that, I do know very good okay, that he gave his only Son, that you should not perish but have everlasting life. That's got the gospel message in it. Okay, that's the gospel message as well. God loved us; He gave, so that we do not perish, which is what we deserve, and that we will have everlasting life. So you can use different ways of presenting the gospel and I know many different ways I usually use the Romans road because that's the first one I was taught uh, but you can use so many different ways to show people 
that they're a lost sinner that deserves punishment, but God, <laughs> but God. And that's really where the salvation comes into. But God delivered us. God paid the debt we didn't, couldn't pay, and he wants to give us everlasting life, but it comes from God. And it's not the works that I can do. Uh, that takes us back to Ephesians uh, 2.8. For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of works, lest any man should boast. Okay? No matter what good I can do, it doesn't matter. In Isaiah 64, 6, it says that all, for all your, uh, part B, for all your righteousness is filthy rags. And when you get somebody who's really gung-ho of, I'm a good person, I live, I'm living a really good life. Isaiah 64, 6 is a great verse. But, now mine's <laughs> but again, if we can learn these things, then we have, we're able to... But we need these things. We need this information because we need to know what we believe. We need to know why we believe it, and we need to know how to communicate it with others. And that communication with others is what scares us until we have a way. And this goes down to the idea of when I worked in restaurants, I was not a people person when I first started working in restaurants. I really, but they gave me a script to follow. Well, if I have a script to follow, you know, at first you sound robotic. You know, hi, welcome to, you know, you know, would you like to see? But after a while, you get kind of, you go, oh, hi, welcome. You know, come on in. You know, and you put your personality. You start putting your personality in it. Well, same thing with the gospel. We may be very robotic when we first start giving the gospel. But after a while, we get so familiar with it that we can work it into any conversation and it becomes part of who we are. You know, but, you know, a robotic presentation is, is still going to get the word into their mind and into their heart. And that someday, maybe they'll remember these words that they were told and, be, and you're planting the seed. And, and maybe one day that somebody will touch that off or maybe they'll be in a place where they just need it and they might remember the word. So it is important that we give the word to them. Okay, are we ready to get back to Revelation now? Oh, after, yeah. after a section on salvation? <laughs> All right, let's, uh, verse 8. And the voice which I heard from heaven spoke again and said, Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel which stands upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went to the angel and said, Give me the little book. And he said, Take and eat it. It shall be... Make your bit, belly bitter, but it shall be in your mouth as sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, it was in my body, and in my belly was bitter. This story has been given all through scripture of consuming the word of God and being sweet in the mouth and bitter to the stomach. And we want to take a quick look at a couple of them. Jeremiah chapter 15. That's in the Old Testament. Yeah. 15. Okay. Verse 16. Your words were found, and I did eat them, and my and your word was unto me joy and rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by the name of the Lord God of hosts. So we know that he talks about his words being food. 
and being able to, and I sat in the assembly of mockers, nor re, I sat not in the assembly of marker, mockers, nor rejoiced. I sat alone because of your hand that was filled me with indignation. So God talks about the word being sweet. All through Psalm, many places in Psalms, he talks about the word being sweet as honey. And then we're going to jump to Ezekiel, which is just before Daniel. And we're going to look at verse 3, uh, chapter 3, excuse me. Oh, gosh. <laughs> That's okay. Go back to Revelation. We'll come back to it. <laughs> verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 1 through 3. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, eat that you find. Eat this roll and go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he caused me to eat the roll. And he said to me, Son of man, cause thy belly to eat and fill your bowels with this with this roll that I give you, and I did eat it, and it was in my mouth sweet as honey with soundness. And uh, so we know that the word of God is sweet to the mouth. And there's other verses which I haven't look, spent on. Then there was the ones I wanted to talk about had idea of sour to the stomach. God's word is sweet. And if we don't react correctly and respond to it, the conviction of God... <laughs> from his word can be bitterness if I don't respond. When I read, when his words come in sweet and he gives me correction, if I don't respond, and I'm sure each one of you have been there at some point where you didn't respond to God's word and the conviction, and you almost wish you hadn't read that particular part because it is, it is convicting you so much. I, I know I should be doing this and I'm not going to do it. And there's that bitterness that comes from his word that quite frequently. To me a lot. Now, I mean, it is so weird. It's like... But God's word, it's sweet. It's 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 delicious. It's it's wonderful. And when I respond to it, it stays sweet. And I go, wow, thank you, God. You're you're changing my life. You're making making life so much better. Things are working. But when we don't respond to his word, the conviction that comes to us, the bitterness in our you know, our being can get so bitter for, and, you know, because we're fighting God so much because I don't want to respond to what he tells me to do. And we all go through that. Anybody who says they always listen to what God says is lying. <laughs> you know, including me, if I tried to say that, I would be lying because I know for a fact that there are times when I say, God, I am just not ready to respond to that. And there's that conviction in the mind and you know, and it just makes me feel miserable oh, for a period of time oh, yeah. because I'm fighting God. And I can tell you, I can tell you, just like everybody else, there's been times when God says, are you ready to give up this area of your life? And you know what? There have been times and, times and often are times when I say, no, God, I'm not ready to give that up. <laughs> and he goes, okay. And it's just the bitterness, knowing that I should have, knowing I'll that I... No, but I'll try... I'll try, but not right now. <laughs> I just tell them flat out, yes or no. <laughs> there's no, I, there's no, I'll try with me. It's either yes, God, I'm willing to let you crucify that area and get it out of my life, or no, God, I'm not ready to let this go. But when we say no, there, there's that bitterness that's in our in our mind, saying, I know I should have done it. I made the wrong decision. I, I should have surrendered. I should have given up. And God says, and later on, God will come back with the same thing. Are you ready to give it up now? And, you know, but there's that bitterness and sorrow in our heart when we 
do not let God crucify that area of our life. And you know it too. I know it when that happens now. Mm-hmm. Before I never, you know, a long time ago I never, you know, I didn't bother. Now. You grow more and more sensitive to it. You grow there. more and more sensitive to the fact that you're being disobedient in what you're doing. And God, and you know, when you're first saved, you barely notice it. It's like, okay, God, you're moving so much out of my life, I don't even notice these little tiny things that I'm not, not listening to. But after a while, after a while, it gets that God says, you start realizing, I'm being disobedient. I am not ready to do this. And you know you're being disobedient. It's not, because there's not 90 other things he's trying to knock out of your life at that moment. It's, that this, is, this is your big one that I'm giving you right now. There's little things I'm taking out, but this is the big one I'm putting in front of you. And me, and to be honest with you, sometimes it's not even necessarily sinful what you're doing, but it takes away from being able to serve God. And a lot of times it's not sinful thing, but it's he's directing you more in the right in a better in a better path. Yeah. And my greatest example for that is I used to be an extremely big football fanatic, wasting my entire weekend away watching football. And God just came up, and there's nothing sinful about watching, yeah. watching football, but God said, do you want to stop doing that and spend more time with me, or do you just want to continue watching football? You know, and I can tell you right now, for the first couple times he asked that, I said, no, I like my football. And again, there was nothing sinful about yes. watching football other than it kept me from spending time with God. And one day I just said, okay, I give it up. And I basically, I'm not saying I never watch a football game anymore. Yeah. It's just I don't watch yeah. nine hours of football on, at a time, you know, one game right after the other. I mean, I'll watch a part of a game or if it's a really good game, I can watch the whole game. But I, I have a hard time watching a whole game of football anymore because I'm thinking, there's so much other better things I could do with my time. And so, again, I bring this up only because sometimes God comes to you and says, present something to you that's dear to your heart and maybe a little too dear to your heart, <laughs> displacing him. And he says, okay, the activity itself is not sinful, but you're raising it above me, so that puts it into the, to the sin of idolatry. Okay, what you're doing is not sin, but the reaction is sinful and says, are you ready to give that up? And so we want to be very sensitive to God. When he starts speaking to us, we say, I'm ready, God. You know, help me get rid of this. You know, I'm ready to just surrender it to you. And a lot of times he's very gentle and very kind about it. Now, there are sins that he's going to hammer on because they're really sin. But there's going to be areas where of our life where we're going to say, do I choose this over God or do I choose God? And he's going to put those places in our life. And they could be hobbies. They can be activities. It could be somebody who goes out hunting all the time. They're just so much into hunting that hunting is above God. You know, it could be just about anything under the sun. It could be reading other books. Mine is mainly, which I'm doing so much better, is that I used to, couldn't get rid of anything. So now I tell people, you know what? At my place, everything's for sale no matter what. I said, at a price. There's a price. I enjoyed it long enough. Let somebody else enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And, I'll do, and I do that. You know, so. Yep. In the last verse 11, and he said unto me, You must prophesy again before many people, nations, tongues, and kings. And this was just a prophecy to John. Because John's going to be released from Patmos, and he's going to get to go back and, and 
be the, be the teacher and, and talk to people and, and be presented to, to people. Okay, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to look at your word. We ask, Lord, that you help us with our ability to present the gospel, that you help us to let you lead us into more and more sanctification and, and closer and closer to perfection in our life. And we ask you to guide and lead in Jesus' name. Amen.